Welcome back to the Cabinet of Wonders on NPR, because the time is right for a little variety. When the children have been good, that is, be it understood, good at mealtime, good at play, good all night and good all day, they shall have the pretty things this Cabinet of Wonders brings. But... Naughty, romping girls and boys who tear their clothes and make a noise, spoil their pinafores and sheets, and deserve no special treats such as these shall never yet enjoy this pretty cabinet. The door is locked, your money is spent. May I present the cabinet, its contents and its discontents. John Hodgman, Sloane Crosley, Meg Baird, Sundra Larkay, B. Beeman, Eugene Merman and Joe Pernice. A beautiful sight. They'll all be back. It's got quite Jewish. Hey, uh, Eugene and I, uh, we've taken this show on the road a little bit. Yeah. Wes and I tour a lot together, and we, you know, in Comedians and Musicians, you need different stuff, and we both had riders, and then eventually we just decided, for the simplicity of touring, that we just put our rider into one document so that every venue knew what we needed and had all our stuff for us, and we thought tonight would be a fun time to share with you. So one of the things on my rider, one of the things I need is actually a stool and a music stand to put some stuff on and uh, put a little drink on. Yeah, I'm a guitar player, so I always require two 9-volt batteries. Makes the show happen, if you run out. And then, for me, I also require, uh, and they're contractually obligated to provide, uh, a punch bowl full of single malt scotch. And I like always, in every dressing room, always a warm fire. Yeah. I also need, and this is to kind of get into the right headspace, three pounds of crumbled gorgonzola and a slingshot. And I need a predatory bird. Like an owl or a hawk or something. What else? Well, when we're in rural areas, yeah. I, I like a curious farmer's daughter. Yes. Well, I require a book of poems about divorce. And, uh, <laughs> and actually, this is something that we don't always ask for, this next one, but we do always get, which is an old man who asks us how we got started in the business. Yes. <laughs> That's our rider, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Eugene Merman, he'll be back throughout the evening. Yes. I'd like to start off, because it's my show and I can. This one's called I Should Have Stopped from my most recent album. remember you when we were both at school For one short week we shared the same carpool Hey, hey Then I saw you today Well, you're looking pretty special in your disco hat As you do your dirty laundry in the laundromat Oh, well, life has intervened But nothing's changed Your eyes look kind of tired But you basically look the same The same You were never really that good at sports But you kissed me on a day behind the tennis court Say, hey Well, you'd been all the way And I always was afraid of your fearsome friends You used to disappear with them for long weekends One day you left, Monday never came But there you are sitting in the wash and fold again I should have stopped and said hello, but I didn't. I'll go back to the mess at home. I should have stopped and said let's go, but I But I ended up as prompter for the matinee Hey, hey 
Oh, well, you played Salome. But I saw you in your bra in the costume tent. I ran across the stage in embarrassment. Even now it's hard enough to stare. Well, you're sorting out the whites from the colors in your underwear. I should have stopped and said hello. at home I should have stopped and said let's go but I couldn't I'll leave my memories alone because it's ancient history and we What a lovely evening. Thank you so much for coming this evening. Here's a poem about our next artiste. Oh, the areas of his expertise. He's America's major supplier of spurious facts and intelligence. In fact, a pathological liar. Though how he got that way may be more information than you require your own, your very own, Mr. John Hodgman. Good evening. Have you ever been in your house and seen a book just fall off the shelf unprompted? Do you have shelves? You might check. Have you ever left the room for just a minute and then came back to discover that all the furniture was in the exact same place it had been. <laughs> but suddenly, you hated it. <laughs> and yourself. <laughs> if so, then you probably have a poltergeist. <laughs> oh, do not be alarmed. And especially, do not go crazy and kill your whole family. This is not a big deal. A poltergeist is just a little ghost. Poltergeist means noisy geist in ghost language. It's just mischievous. Indeed, there are many other kinds of geists out there in the spirit world, some of which can be quite menacing. And I have here in my hand, radio listeners, a catalog of geists that are not polter. Have you heard of the Ottmangeist? By the way, all of the German in this piece is provided by Babelfish. <laughs> so please don't complain to me. The Ottmangeist is the type of ghost that curls up in bed with you like a lover and then breathes in your face all night long. <laughs> and then farts before dawn. <laughs> the Kaspergeist takes the form of Kasper the ghost. 
It's a very cute geist. It needs to be, for how else will it lure your children into the crawl space? The intergeist uses your computer while you are sleeping. It browses racist websites and downloads very illegal pornography and then sends it to all of your friends using your email account. Now, there's an also a different kind of spirit called a doppelganger. Do you know what a doppelganger is? It's a ghostly image of yourself, and it said that if you see your doppelganger, you're probably going to die. And then when you do, the doppelganger takes over your life, but in an awkward way because it can't touch anything and looks spooky. <laughs> but there's also a triple ganger. Did you know that? <laughs> the triple ganger is a ghostly image of yourself drinking Belgian beer. <laughs> Except this thing likes it. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the teener ganger. This is a ghostly image of yourself exactly as you were when you were a teenager. And you see it having lunch with other teenagers. And when you see this ghost, you usually quickly cringe to death. <laughs> and then finally, there's the Hodge Manor Ganger. This is a ghostly image of me that follows you around. <laughs> I cannot explain this phenomenon. I can only say that if you ever see me in an airport and I am rude to you or simply don't make eye contact, that is actually me. <laughs> the Hodge Banner Ganger, on the other hand, will be very friendly and, and allow himself to be photographed with you and tell you all sorts of funny stories about those Apple ads. He will come over for dinner if you invite him. Which one am I right now? <laughs> Meet me at the bar later and you might find out. Thank you very much for your kind attention. John Hodgman, John Hodgman. What a lineup tonight. Insane, really. Here's a poem about our next performer. We did a gig at the Ethical Society. I listened to her sing in awe with something approaching piety. But then I got anxiety because my music's a bit too noisy and hers is very quiety. From Espers, will you please welcome the beautiful voice of Meg Baird. Meg Baird. Um, Meg, you're going to do a cover version and it is by... Michael Chapman. Michael Chapman. Anybody know Michael Chapman? All right. No. Did somebody say no? Well, he was in The Monkees. Um, I saw him do an amazing gig at the Hotel Utah in San Francisco to about 11 people. It was a magical, magical evening for me and 10 of my close friends. Um, and it's got a bit in the middle that is very Joni Mitchell, hasn't it? There's one little vocal leap. Anyway, everybody ready? I'm just really chatting. Singing a Michael Chapman song, Meg Baird.
Megbed! Let those notes linger, but don't look back. More wonders lie ahead with B. Beeman and Joe Panice. This is, after all, the Cabinet of Wonders on NPR.
Welcome back. I'm John Wesley Harding, and this is the Cabinet of Wonders on NPR. A little vaudeville, a little variety, and a little vino here at New York's City Winery. A.A. <laughs> Milne, B.B. King, C.C. Winans, this is a thing. D.D. Ramone, E.E. E. Cummings, F.F. That's where it stops. I couldn't do it anymore. I'm going to do the whole alphabet, and I ran out at FF. So much for my scheming, which there's no redeeming. His initials aren't BB, his name is B-Beeman. B-Beeman. I love the way everybody's clapping along like it's a wedding. It's fantastic. No one's ever done it before. B, welcome to the stage. Thank you. This is a song I wrote called Kimchi Line. I'm on the kimchi line I'm on the kimchi line I'm on the kimchi line And it's cabbage time Well, I went up on the mountain To see if I could fly Went down to the sea, Lord So I picked a pickle pepper from the leader's tree. Got some prawn and oyster for the vitamin E. I'm on the kimchi line. I'm on the kimchi line. I'm on the kimchi line. And it's red. Trying to jump that fence They got guns on the green side You ain't making no sense So I climbed upon a ladder To see what I could see While the leader's getting fatter I feel my stomach bleed I'm on the kimchi line I'm on the kimchi line I'm on the kimchi line And it's scallion time That's beautiful, man. Beautiful. Let's get the English UK back on here. I think that 
I think that's, that's one of the best things that one of the artists has ever said to me on the stage. He looked at me, and the, did you hear him? He looked at me and went, verse or does it end there? I was like, it ends there. I only wrote it, I don't need to know. Please, a round of applause, the very wonderful, Thanks the very so beautiful, B. Beeman. What a gentleman. Doffing his cap to me as he left the stage. Townsman, cast your eyes on Merman. No Australian Bruce or warlike German of Russian stock, this comic, sir. Like Yakov Shmirnov, only funny, yeah. Eugene Merman. I just saw a documentary on FDR, and uh, did you know that the reason FDR said that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself is because he didn't know about snakes? <laughs> I saw this, uh, I guess this banner ad, I think, I forget, it was maybe on the New York Times or some website, and it was a little ad for some other website about news, and this is the ad. Does Rick Santorum hate Ricky Martin? I was like, oh, have I not been paying attention? Did Rick Santorum make a long, weird speech about living la vida loca and how that was not moral? And so I clicked on this, and it took me to this website, which is Latin in America, and I did not find the story I was looking for. All I found was this story, fugitive cannibal accused of eating brain caught in Florida. Just to be clear, there is a comma missing. The brain was not caught in Florida the cannibal was. But I was like, wait, why don't you have this story? You advertised it, I'm curious, and I can't find it. So I put the whole phrase into Google, and I found the whole article they wrote. And I just want to read you an excerpt from this article. Letting a gay couple raise children, Santorum went on to say, is, quote, robbing children of something they need, they deserve, they have a right to. You may rationalize that that isn't true, but in your own life and in your own heart, you know it's true. Okay, next sentence. Which raises the question, does he hate Ricky Martin? <laughs> no, it doesn't. I took a class in raising questions that is literally not, there's like 50 questions that you would think of before you were like, sounds like this guy hates Ricky Martin. It goes on to say towards the end, so no, Rick Santora may not hate Ricky Martin no more than he hates other gay people. I don't know a lot about journalism, but I don't believe you're allowed to just make an, a, write an article that's like, did George W. Bush eat babies? And then you explore it and you're like, no! But he didn't not eat babies any more than he did not eat any size person. Thank you all very, very much. Bye-bye. Good night. Throw it down for Eugene Merman. Everyone, it's tea time. Proper steeping time is three minutes. We'll be back in just one with Sloane Crosley and Sundra Larke. You're listening to NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR member stations and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, dedicated to the idea that all people deserve the chance to live healthy, productive lives at gatesfoundation.org, the Wallace Foundation, a source of ideas for improving education and enrichment for children both in and out of school at wallacefoundation.org, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation for 40 years working to improve health and healthcare on the web at rwjf.org. This is NPR.
You're still here. Lovely. I'm John Wesley Harding, and this is the Cabinet of Wonders on NPR. Can I tell you a story about my daughter? Her favorite band is the B-52s. She loves the B-52s. And uh, on her first day at school, everybody was asked to sing a song. And I picked her up at school, and she said, we sang a song, we sang a song. And, the teacher, and I said to the teacher, how did it go? And she said, actually, it was quite interesting. And I said, why was that? And she said, well, you know, Tyree sang Old MacDonald Has a Farm. Cynthia sang B-I-N-G-O is a dog. And Tilda sang Want to Make Love to You Under the Strobe Light. <laughs> Good parenting or balmy old cack? There once was a man called Panice. According to his press release, Joe is an American indie rock musician and writer who's fronted several bands, including the Scud Mountain Boys. Sorry, I appear to have lost the limerick form a little. Call the limerick police. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Panice. That was very nice, uh, Wesley. I appreciate that. Thank you. We're going to do a song. Who's it by? It's by the great Del Shannon. When I see her coming down the street I get so shaky and I feel so weak I tell my eyes to be out the way But they don't seem to hear what would I say And I go to pieces and I want to hide I go to pieces and I almost die every time My baby Tell my arms to hold someone new Another love that will be true But listen, they don't seem to care They reach for her, but she's not And the English UK. All right. For this next writer's essays, I could get all apostoly. And when I first met her in Brooklyn, I liked her colossally. Even when I asked her last name, and she answered crossily. That is her last name. Author, I was told there'd be cake. Sloane Crosley. with a vignette or extract from a recent essay that yes. was... about taking a trip to Ecuador and going uh, to try to climb a very tall, active volcano. But this is before that, and I have a guide who, it turns out, does not really speak English. His name is Edgardo. And we're in the car. I think that's all you need to know. Sloan Crosley. About an hour outside Quito, Edgardo pulls off the highway without warning and runs away on foot. Maybe Americans are just unnecessarily diligent about telling each other where they're going all the time. 
If I hear a funny noise in the engine, I say, do you hear that? I don't just stop the car, get out, and leave everyone else inside thinking I've embarked on a one-man game of Chinese fire drill. Or say you and I are having a discussion at a party and I have to go to the bathroom. I excuse myself. I don't simply turn around and run like a startled horse. I'm not the kind of person who's going to pull over unannounced and go on a search for pot for 30 minutes in a random village while an overly inquisitive but otherwise tolerable American tourist waits in my car. The landscape outside features chickens, torn advertisements for soda, and shirtless children. There's also a soldier with a large gun strapped to his back. I push down the lock on the Jeep, and then I pull it up again. I shut my eyes. When I was four years old, I came down with pneumonia, and I hallucinated that the air in my room was packed with bees. To avoid getting stung, I took refuge in the safest place in the world, under the covers. But of course, there were bees there as well. Being inside or outside of this Jeep feels like the same kind of choice. I open the glove compartment and find a series of unmarked CDs, ratty gloves, and some travel-sized spray cologne. I pick up the cologne. It has a silhouette of a boob on it and rust on the bottom, and I'm not even tempted to remove the cap. I get out of the car and lean on it, which makes me feel like a prostitute, but I don't mind. I reason that prostitutes seem more fearless and harder to kill than already kidnapped women locked in a car. A chicken runs by with a couple of kids following behind. Easily distracted from its own survival, the chicken stops to peck at a half-eaten paper plate of food. When Edgardo finally returns, he barks at me to get back in the car and tosses a large bottle of water in my lap. Quito is not Tokyo, no, but it's not Khartoum either. There is absolutely no way it takes this long to locate a bottle of water. I raise one eyebrow at him. If drugs have been introduced to this vehicle, I think I've earned some. Drink, he says, adding, you will need it on the mountain. I pull the bottle from my lips like it's poison. Do I drink the water now or do I not drink the water now? Now, drink, he says, starting the car. I unscrew the cap again. Drink it on the mountain, he adds. <laughs> I have seen many films with scenes like this, and I don't need to be part of one myself. If 127 hours, alive and touching the void or panic room, have taught us anything, it's that you should never leave home without a lighter, a bottle of Gatorade, and a Swiss Army knife. At this point, the abandonment, confinement genre of film is so established in our culture that people who do leave the house without these things basically deserve what's coming to them. But the survival stuff is never the worst part of those films. The worst part is those innocuous scenes before the epic journey, the ones that appear to have nothing to do with anything. Chop off my arm, lock me in a room with Jodie Foster. These moments will never be the ones that move me as a viewer. It's when the trapped hero or heroine thinks longingly of some basic household staple or some nonsensical conversation that my stomach lurches. I am careful to drain the bottle down to the plastic rib, exactly equidistant between the top and the bottom. Nothing is so gruesome to the human imagination as regret. Thank you. Sloan Crosley. How lucky are you? And for our ultimate musical guest. I like to treat guests well all night, which includes me pronouncing their names right. So after considerable research, I can say it's not Lurch, and I'd be a jerke to keep calling him Lurke. His magic is a marker, and his name is Sundra Larka. Well, hello, city winer. I uh, stand before you... Um at my most manly. I have lost the upper range of my voice, which leaves a deeper and more lived-in voice than I've ever, ever experienced before. And I don't even know if this is going to work. You guys can handle a love song, right? This one is, is, is drunken, confused, possibly uh, delusional, and very, 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 very much in love. Coliseum town Not a living soul around I go stumbling cobble streets With a map you drew on me And I can't decide 
Did you leave or even arrive? I've been known to make things up. Now I'm talking to my cup. What's the chance of you returning? Coliseum Town. Should I wait around? Maybe I'm mistaken. This dream's taken. Who put these thoughts in my head? I'd better put it to bed when I wake from dream inside a dream. To divert my mind, I try to make another love song rhyme. But it's harder than it seems to describe what I just dreamed. see I'm town. Tell me if I'm out of line. I may just have had too much, or just never quite enough. Now the cobblestones are spinning. Am I singing? Coliseum Town Should I wait around? Maybe I'm mistaken This dream's taken The bartender showed me the door I fell asleep on your floor In another dream inside a dream Dream inside a Thank you so much, everybody. We're going to do a song by uh, Orange Juice, and it is uh, is a song of vengeance called Poor Old Soul.
me be so mean You better come clean I will not be a party to your scheme Come clean, come clean, come clean I need the face you do Just make me want Joe Police, B. Beeman, Meg Baird. We always like to finish the, song, this, the show with this song. And before I do so, here's a little poem of goodbye. Our cabinet is now ended. These are actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air, thin air. I sound like Catherine Hepburn. And like the baseless fabric of this Vivian Westwood suit, the brilliant songs, the thought-provoking readings, the surly comics, the great city winery itself, yea, all which it inherits shall dissolve, and like this insubstantial pageant faded, leave not a guitar pick behind. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Ladies and gentlemen, the cabinet is closed. Singing a song in the morning Singing it again at night I don't even know what I'm singing about But it makes me feel I feel alright Yeah, yeah It makes me feel I feel alright Support for NPR comes from NPR member stations and Carnegie Corporation of New York, a foundation created to do what Andrew Carnegie called real and permanent good, celebrating 100 years of philanthropy. The William T. Grant Foundation, supporting research to improve the lives of young people. Online at wtgrantfoundation.org. And the Skoll Foundation, supporting social entrepreneurs and their innovations to solve the world's most pressing problems at skoll.org. This is NPR.